So this means that conflict is to be avoided at all costs, except when God calls you to it. There is a spirit on that battlefield that God knows that you have that can turn the tide and win the battle and even win the war. My name is Shaq. I hope you guys are having a beautiful start to the beautiful first of the month of July 1st. Amen. But um, today I come to you with an episode of is the topic of self-defense biblical? And children, y'all, I come to you with this topic because in light of some of the recent decisions that the Supreme Court has made here in the U.S., for those of you who are outside of the U.S., the Supreme Court, that is the highest court of the United States, they made decisions, they're still making decisions, including today, regarding uh, the right to self-defense with many, many believers among the con- in the country, or many non-believers, excuse me, actually every single American citizen, they made a number of decisions. So uh, there is a, there was a case in the court called NYSRPA versus Bruin, and in this case, it justified the challenge, a law that the state of New York had that existed for over a hundred years that said. If you needed a license to carry a handgun outside the home, you had to demonstrate justifiable need in order to do so. And children of Yah, if you know anything about government outreach, about a corrupt government, then you understand the agenda that the enemy had with this permitting scheme. And because of it, a lot of people were stripped away of their right to self-defense, which is knitted well into our Constitution because our Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And children of Yah, this is, in fact, biblical. And so that's what I'm going to kind of tie it to. I'm not necessarily going to make this about politics and about the Supreme Court decision. But I want to open your eyes to encouraging each and every one of you to see just how biblical self-defense actually is. Because there is a common uh, misconception that as Christians, you know, we can't retaliate. We have to consistently be doormats and we have to allow people to always take advantage of us. Like we basically have to have to take a beating and children. Yeah, I'm going to address that in today's episode. But before I do, I want to say a quick prayer. Father God, in your mighty holy name, I plead the blood of Jesus over this microphone. I plead the blood of Jesus over this vessel, Father God. And I plead the blood of Jesus over my listeners. Give me the words I need to speak, Father God. Give me the daily bread. Allow your spirit to come upon me like a bolt of lightning. Allow your wisdom, your knowledge, and your understanding to come upon me that I may deliver it 
to your people, that your people may be one step closer to the truth, that your people may be strengthened and empowered and emboldened, Father God, that your people, not only do they receive the daily bread, but they become strong in their priesthood, Father God. In all these things, I ask that you give us life. And in Jesus' name, let all these things be done and let your good works be done on this episode, Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. So going into it, is self-defense biblical? Um, and I know I said, children of Yah, that I wasn't going to go into the politics, but, you know, this day and age, you know, with the age of gun control and and... You know, oh, it's more sensitive now than it was back then. You know, this is the message that the enemy is is putting out there to strip away the rights of the people. And the game plan is to strip away the rights of the people so that the people are easily controllable. And we see this in New Zealand, you know. I think over 30 years ago, New Zealand, you know, they gave up their right to self-defense and their government these days, they're bullying them. They're bullying them. I think it's Australia or New Zealand, but I heard New Zealand last I heard. And children, yeah, I say this because this isn't the first time we've seen the enemy use legislation to persecute, pursue, and destroy the people. We see it in the book of Esther. I'm going to list probably two, three, or four examples from the Bible where God allows the people uh, self-preservation of life and self-defense. Okay, and we see this in the book of Esther. We see it in the book of Esther. You know, Esther uh, and the Jews, you know, her people were in trouble because um, Haman had a personal vendetta against the Jews, and so he saw it as a threat to his plan because he believed that the Jews were on to what he was trying to do, and they would not worship him. They would not bow down. Mordecai specifically would not bow down to uh, Haman. Haman, who was the king's right-hand man, King Ahasuerus. And the king had a kingdom that stretched from India to Ethiopia. And so what Haman did when he set the decree had um, that decree to annihilate all the Jews had far-reaching uh, consequences for the Jews. So I'm going to break it down for you uh, scripture by scripture. I'm going to start with Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him and all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them. And they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. 
But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told them of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were without who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. And so Haman and Mordecai, they have, they have beef. Children, I believe Haman was a prophet. I, I believe Haman knew that this was going to happen because if we look throughout the book of Esther, you know, Haman, uh, Mordecai was the one who set up Esther to be in royalty. Mordecai was the one who set up Esther, who allowed Esther to take the place of royalty so that he could bring his people into prominence. I believe Mordecai was a prophet. I believe Mordecai had a really big, had a really big mission from God, and God told him, never bow down before any man. And so, Going on to verses 8 through 11. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman. A signet ring, children of Yah, is a symbol of authority for a king. And when a king gives someone else their signet ring, it's the king's way of saying, you're in charge of this. You're not the king, but I hand over authority to you to do as you wish to address the situation. And so the king gives his signet ring to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, and the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So the king is basically like, well, I mean, uh, I, I never had a problem with it, but, you know, you know, do, do as you wish. Do as you wish. If you say it's bad, you know, I trust your judgment. Do as you wish. Looking on to verses 12 for, to 14. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's uh, satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all the people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both old and young, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. And so, children, y'all, this was a very, very serious problem that 
uh, the Jews were facing in the kingdom of Ahasuerus. This was a very, very serious problem. And children, I want to, I, I kind of want to entertain that for a second. You know, what if they did pass that law here in America? What if they did pass the law that ordered the annihilation of all the Jews? Imagine all of the unbelievers, all of the people with the spirit of Cain, whose hearts filled with hatred, who hated the Christians. Imagine if they passed a law that said, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what the dollar amount is. You'll get such and such reward for persecuting your nearest Christians. You'll receive such and such reward for killing all of the members in your nearest church. What if they did pass that crazy? You say, Shaq, uh-uh. Why, 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 would you, why would you speak that out there? Listen, this is biblical prophecy. This is what the book of Revelation says will happen. And so we can't constantly live in fear of the enemy. We have to be mindful that we are a chosen generation. We are of a royal priesthood. And we are in the end time church, children of Yah. This is very prophetic. And so I don't say this to promote a spirit of fear. I say this to understand that the great test, the great tribulation is coming. The great tribulation of our faith is coming. How much does Jesus really mean to you? Some of you saying Jesus, Jesus in the churches, at the altars. You preach Jesus. But when someone holds a gun to your head, are you still going to preach the gospel? Because that's what's going on in some of these countries. In some of these countries, they're literally killing you for saying the name Jesus, for holding a Bible. They're literally killing you. Our brothers and sisters, our family, people are being killed. And you never see it on TV. And just because it ain't bombs over Baghdad yet and here in America, don't think that it's never going to be happened. See, America is the only country we downplay witchcraft. We downplay idolatry. We downplay murder, mainly in abortion. And we have a spirit of Cain towards one another. Like we have been so fed fat to our idols. The devil was very, very smart in indoctrinating us from a very young age so that the priesthood was taken from us early. That's why so many people in America, they don't believe in God. And not only do they not believe in God, but they hate God with a passion. And so guess what? Guess what? Second Thessalonians says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Children of Yah, what that basically says is God just hands you over. God just hands you over. God has no problem, no problem handing you over. I'm going to read to you a verse from the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 9 through 
or nine rather. No, not not verse nine. I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 44, verse seven, verses 17 to 19. And the rest of it, he makes into a God, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. They do not know nor understand for he, that's God, for God has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have also roasted meat and eaten it. And I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Children of Yah, there are a lot of people out there who worship things they have no business worshiping. And because of it, God shuts their hearts. Like, listen, this is God's way of saying, listen, you want to worship this? You want to worship that? Fine. You're cut off. The Bible mentions many, many times that the people will be cut off for worshiping things that they have no business worshiping. That's not God being cruel. That's you being fed to your own devices. And so I digress. Going back to chapter uh, uh, seven of the book of Esther, verses three through seven. And we're jumping forward from chapter three to chapter seven. Then the queen, then Queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be given at my petition and my people at my request. So we're up to the part in the story where Mordecai finds out the decree. He's the first to find out. And then he tells Esther and then he urges Esther to get the king's attention and tell them what's going to happen. Now, the king authorized it, but what the king did not know was that Queen Esther was a Jew. And in the beginning of the book of Esther, Mordecai tells Esther, do not tell anybody who we are. And children, yeah, this is why I think uh, Mordecai was a prophet. This is why I think he was a prophet, because all he knew all of this was going to happen. He had to. He had to. But going back into it, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? Who would dare to presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of the wine and went into the palace garden. Children, y'all, I don't know if I mentioned this before I read the passage, but once Mordecai tells Esther, Esther organizes a banquet and invites no one except the king and Haman. He doesn't, she doesn't tell Haman why he's going. Haman is 
saying like, why do I need to go? Like, like this, this benefits me nothing, but oh, well, I'll go, whatever. But what he didn't realize, what Haman didn't realize was that it was a trap for him. It was a trap for him. And so Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that Emo was determined evil was determined against him by the king. Guys, at this point, the king is furious. The king is furious. Because not only did Haman uh, go after Esther's people, he also deceived him. It was all a big deception. It was all a big plot to wipe out the threat. Going to Esther chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, to plunder their possessions on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. On the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all the people so the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And so we're at a part of the story where Haman is killed at this point by the king. He's hung by his own noose that he was going to use for Mordecai. And the decree gets reversed. Esther is able to convince the king to reverse the decree. But what ends up happening is the order was already sent out. The men, the armies were already on their way to slaughter the Jews. And so Queen Esther had a problem. And so they moved as quickly as possible so that the Jews understood, hey, listen, by enemies necessary, do whatever it takes to protect your lives and all that you have. Jumping to chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because the fear of them fell upon all people. And so, children of Yahweh, what basically this says was the Jews were able to fight back, and not only were they able to fight back, but they were able to fight back with such efficiency and such such uh, uh, high morale and such strength that the people who pursued them, they made a huge mistake. And children of Yah, that is how it is when you're a part of the Lord's army. When you're a part of the Lord's army, understand the Lord's army is undefeated undefeated children of Yah. 
Jump into verses 22 to 25 on chapter 9. As the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun, as Mordecai had written to them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them, and had cast per, that is, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. And so, children of Yah, this is the most prominent example of the enemy using legislation to destroy the people. This is the most prominent example of the enemy being manipulative. And children of Yah, we see this in politics, in American politics all the time, particularly when it comes to the right to self-defense. I mentioned before what the Second Amendment says in the Constitution a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And children of Yah, some of you have been in situations where it was life or death and God delivered you from the hand of the wicked, amen. But some of you have not experienced that in your entire life. And children of Yah, let me tell you something. Me personally, I've been in a few life or death situations myself to which I've called 911 and believe it or not 911 refuses to it were they refused to show up. They refused to show up. Imagine you're in fear for your life and your only solution is to call 911 and you know what they give you? Sorry, our units are busy assisting other calls. Please call again in another 20 minutes. Click and some of those days I got assaulted, you know, I got, I called multiple times, multiple times. It was a miracle that I wasn't killed. And so children, y'all, I wanted to get you thinking about this because I don't want you to think that if someone holds a gun to your head, that you're just supposed to automatically lay down and die. Some of you will be called to die. Some of you will be called to go to prison. This is the great tribulation. This is biblical prophecy. And not every saint is going to be overcome by this. But in the general idea of self-defense, we're all called to defuse a conflict as quick as possible. That is the biblical way of doing it. But sometimes conflicts, they could be, you know, a conflict can't be avoided. And so then it comes to mind, like, what should one do? Like, what am I supposed to do? And children of Yah, this is why I brought up the book of Esther. The preservation of life is something that God honors greatly. Even Jesus said himself, like, greater there's no greater thing you could do than to lay down your life for your friends. There's no greater thing you could do 
to de- than to defend those who are being delivered to death. Rescue them from the slaughterhouse. And so that's just one example. You know, we see, you know, the example that everybody is familiar with, with David, uh, David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 to 51. This is probably the greatest monologue in the history of man. Every time I get it, I every time I read it, children of y'all, I get so empowered. I get so emboldened because David, as a young man, he had so much confidence. You know, every, you know, Goliath was the bully on the block. Everybody was afraid of Goliath. Goliath was the prized champion of the Philistines. And when David saw King Saul about Goliath, King Saul said, here, take this armor. And David was like, nah, I don't need that. Like, you what are you going to do? You're, you're too young. Take this arm. Are you crazy? But David had the spirit of the Lord. And David knew that the Lord was empowering him to do his will, to do what needed to be done. And so let me read it. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 to 51. Then he took the staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy, and good-looking, very, very handsome. And so David was a, was a handsome young man, and Goliath was ugly. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? He says it mockingly. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, his false idols, his wickedness. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army. He ran, children of Yah. He didn't just walk, he ran because he knew that victory was his. Children of Yah, when we're called to fight, when God says, defend my people, 
you run. There is no battle that you can lose. And so David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a slinging stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut his head, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled like, oh, this dude is serious. Uh, yeah, we can't beat that. If, if, he, if Goliath couldn't beat that, we most certainly can't. Let's get out of here, guys. Children of Yah, that's the spirit of the Lord. That's the power of the Lord. To empower one man to, to overtake an entire army. We see it in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 15 and 16, with the famous story of Samson and how he slayed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And then when he lost his hair and he was chained in the temple, he destroyed the Philistine temple. And, it, and the Bible says it was more than any he had taken in his entire life. Children of Yah, when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, there is no victory that you can't lose, especially when it comes to defending the weak, especially when it comes to rescuing those who can't rescue themselves, especially when it comes to slaying a body that stands a threat to God's kingdom. There's no hand. There's no battle that you can lose, children of Yah. We see the same example with Gideon. Any of you ever seen the movie 300? You know, with Gerard Butler, you know, King Leonidas? This is Sparta! If you haven't watched the movie, because what I'm, the story I'm about to tell you, they got it from this. They got it from the story of, of Gideon. Judges chapter five, Judges chapter six through seven. Yeah, six through seven. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, I'm reading verses 13 through 17 of Judges chapter six. Why then has all this happened to us? Now, let me set the background. Israel was overtaken by the Midianites. And Gideon was part of the smallest tribe, one of the smallest tribes in Israel. And an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, calls him a mighty man of valor. And this is what the Lord does. So I'm reading into it. So he asked the Lord, he said, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us, our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? 
So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I'm not the strongest, Gideon says. I'm not the most confident, Gideon says. I'm not the biggest dude on the block, Gideon says. There's no way I could win, Gideon says. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talk with me. And so Gideon was the type of guy he needed confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. He constantly needed confirmation and reassurance. Like, God, are you sure I am who you say I am? Are you sure it's me that you want? Prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. And the Lord gave it to him, no problem. Because the Lord knew who he was in the spirit. See, a lot of you, you're fearful in the flesh. But who you are in the spirit, woo, is a completely different story. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Some of you are some of the boldest men and women of this end time church. Some of you have the courage to do what it takes in the spirit. Some of you are sitting there saying, nah, not me. I, I can never be, I can never come to that. I was one of you. For those of you who can relate to that, I was one of you. I, w- I used to think, nah, I'm too timid. I could never do this. And so God just kept knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Be bold for my namesake. Go and preach the gospel to every single creature. Fear not, for I am with you wherever you go. Children of Yah, this is what the Spirit of the Lord told me. And God told Gideon to bring him people afterwards, after he was informed of the mission. God told Gideon to bring him people to join him on his crest to retake Israel. And if you read on to the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7, Gideon brought over 30,000 people. He fought to the Lord's presence, 30,000 people. And the Lord said that it was too many. And so he narrowed it down to 300 men. And these 300 men went on to slay tens of thousands of Midianite soldiers in the form of tribes and armies. And they were able to retake Israel. And Israel was able to live happily ever after for the next 40 years until Gideon died. And children of Yah, this is where the movie 300 got the theme from. They want to tell you that it was 300 Spartans who defeated the Persians. And while that might be true, it might be true. This is where the real 300 men come from. This is where the story comes from. We also see this theme of self-defense in the story of Deborah in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4 through 5. The story just before Gideon. We see the glory of how God used a woman to lead the charge to save Israel from the hand of Jabin and the wicked commander of Sisera. I'm not going to go into the details of the story, but it's one of the greatest stories I ever read. Looking on to another example, 
Looking on to first and second Kings, the story of Ahab and Jezebel and how Jezebel killed so many of God's prophets. And so God commanded that Jezebel be killed and trampled by the horses. Bad things happen, children of Yah, when you touch God's anointed. Bad things happen. So I'm not going to go deep into that story, too. I'm just going to encourage you guys to read it if you haven't. First and second Kings, the story of Jezebel is spread throughout that story. Throughout those two books. And so going into the idea of self-defense, you know, the idea that God hates weapons is not entirely true. While the Bible does say God hates violence. You know, it's one thing, children of Yah, to trade an eye for an eye and living and dying by the sword to make a career out of bloodshed, to be a murderer. That's one thing. But it's another when you're called to deliver God's people from the hands of the wicked. Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood, shall, by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. I'm going to read that again because I completely butchered that. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Proverbs 24, 11. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. And so, children of Yah, the preservation of life is something that God calls every Christian to. You may not be a fighter. You may not be an emboldened fighter. You may not be a David, a Samson, a Gideon, but you're you. You're you. You know how to stand up for the cause. You know how to allow some of you or most of you. You know how to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. You know how to lay your life at the cross and to understand that we are called to be living sacrifices and the preservation of life is something that Jesus says there is no greater thing that you can do for those you love except to lay down your life for those you love. And so, like I said, the preservation of life is something that God calls every Christian to because the goal is to advance God's kingdom here on earth, to retake what was taken from us. And children of Yah, that requires great boldness, great courage, great fervency of the Most High within us. Now, it's important to understand in the context of guns, even though guns are tools to defend God's people and their possessions, children, our best weapon is the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 10 verses four through six, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down the arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Children of Yah, I always say this. You know, people argue about gun laws. They need to take away this and take away that. Let me tell you guys something. You cannot legislate the stronghold in a person's heart. 
You cannot legislate every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You can't legislate that out. And so it's not the person that we wage war against. It's the power that controls that person. If it's not God's power that we wage war against, how do you defeat a murderer by casting out his demon? And by showing him the power of Jesus, the true, raw power of Jesus. And if it's a power he continues to shut himself off of, then the Bible says by the Old Testament that God will hand him over and he is deserving of death. Not only the first death, which is here on earth, but the second death, which is perishing into the lake of fire. And children of y'all, our main adversary is the devil. And so when we apply that to the principle of self-defense, we understand that it's never the person, but rather the force that controls that person. It's never the sinner, but the sin that controls them. But even if self-defense is an alternative, we are, as Christians, like I said earlier, we're called to diffuse conflict as peaceably as possible. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. So this means that conflict is to be avoided at all costs, except when God calls you to it. There is a spirit on that battlefield that God knows that you have that can turn the tide and win the battle and even win the war. And sometimes there isn't much of a choice and conflict can't be avoided. And so in this case, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to intercede for us and to guide us, guide us, excuse me, on how we should move forward. All right, this guy don't want to back down. You know, this guy is showing great persistence and trying to to cause great bodily harm, to try to kill me or whatever the case is. Father God, what should I do? Because let me tell you guys something. Let me tell you guys, you know, who don't believe in weapons, you think, oh, uh, you believe in Kumbaya Jesus. Like Kumbaya Jesus, he didn't show, he didn't show reverence. He didn't show power. Like, oh, I'm not into any of that stuff. You can't just let the devil's army tee off on your family. You can't just let the devil's army into your house and violate your women, violate your children. You can't just let that happen. And so you have to rely on the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf. If you don't have a heart of, 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 uh, I don't want to say murder because murder is not of God. If you're not as eager to defend your family because you fear you're breaking God's command to love one another. While that's honorable that you don't want to dishonor and disobey God. Like I said, children of y'all understand we are called to defend those who cannot defend themselves. 
like it says in the book of Proverbs. And so it's every person's God-given right to self-preservation. Luke eleven twenty one. Jesus says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Luke chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus says again, then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, which is a book bag for those of you who don't know. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And Jesus always sent out the disciples in twos to cover one another. Because there was this time when one of the disciples asked, we have two swords. And Jesus says, it is enough. And so Jesus understands that there is an enemy out there who's in hot pursuit of his people. And Jesus understood that there is a possibility that danger could arise. And so I say this, so let every disciple have a means of self-defense and property on their walk. Let every disciple have a means to preserve their loved ones, to preserve the people around them, and their property if they're legally allowed to do so. But the Spirit will intercede on your behalf. The Spirit, if you allow the Spirit to truly lead you, that no one may harm you, the Spirit will lead you as such. And bear in mind, children of Yah, this is my one time, my one chance to make this legal disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not advising you to do something that would throw you in prison. But bear in mind, like some of the states we live in have laws that prevent us from using deadly force for protecting our own property. And so what I encourage you to do is to find a lawyer to ask how you should proceed with laws regarding your own state or place of residence, wherever you live. And may the Holy Spirit lead you in that inquiry. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Acknowledge God, children of Yah, throughout every single step of self-defense. In recent years, you know, there has been a discussion regarding gun violence and gun control, school shootings and the like. And the church has taken a stance supported by a side that promotes quite frankly, the antichrist agenda. And children, I want you to understand I'm not all for murdering people. Nobody wants to have to murder someone. The goal is to defuse conflict. And then the event and in the mind of someone who owns a firearm, please understand, children of Yah, that you never shoot to kill. You shoot to stop the threat. You never try to kill people. You never try to willingly take a life. The goal is to get the threat to stop doing whatever it is they're doing. And so with that being said, there is a side that the devil deceives and blinds and they don't see the truth. And they don't see the truth that his side is very, very deep in an antichrist agenda. And they don't honestly see that they themselves are supporting an antichrist agenda. And I say this because it's the same group of people who support the stripping away the right to self-preservation through self-defense from, pe- from the people 
It's the same people who support stripping away the right of life through abortion. Like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. So you mean to tell me that you're all about keeping the kids safe in the schools, but not keeping a child safe in the womb? You're all about the self-preservation of life for the children in a classroom, but not the self-preservation of life of those same children in the wombs? That doesn't make any sense. That's very, very hypocritical. If all of those children were in the womb, I know how some of you feel about abortion. If all those children were in the wombs, you're telling me that you support the idea of killing them? Come on, make it make sense. Where in the Bible does it say support abortion? Where in the Bible does it say it's cool to kill the children? It's cool to sacrifice God's children to the idol of Molech. Tell me where in the Bible does it say it's cool to support that? And how would you be able to explain by virtue of that? How would you be able to explain thousands of years of warfare that Israel was subjected to a nation of a small 20, a small and humble 20 to 30,000 people and everybody wants to kill them. Why? Because they're God's chosen people. The enemy gets into the hearts of hardened people and he enslaves them to do his will. To come upon God's chosen people and children of Yah, the one thing you got to understand is Satan is bound by God's word. And God made it so God allowed Satan to come after his people. Why? As a test of their faith. God always searches the mind. Jeremiah 17 says, I, the Lord, search the mind and I test the heart and the heart is deceitful. You know, who can know it? And that's why God is always looking for that next prophet, that next person who desires him so bad. And, you know, they say they love him, but children, y'all, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for dropping this into my heart. Just because you say you love God doesn't mean you love God. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, be about that life. You'll get my attention when you're about that life. And so... Going back to this, only God can empower such a nation to fight, outnumbered, and win. He's done it many, many times. There's a reason why Israel isn't off the map. They are God's protected people. And we have to realize, children of Yah, that with the Holy Spirit, there's no battle that we can't win. None. Joel chapter 2 verse 11 says, the Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Children of Yah, the wrath of God is real. We haven't experienced it in this country yet, but the wrath of the Lord is real. God's army, there's nothing that can destroy them. There is nothing that can destroy the remnant. That's why they're called the remnant. Because they are the last of God's servants and prophets. And God is always calling for more and more prophets and servants to rise. But 
the remnant will always be there. And that is why Israel's enemies can never destroy them, can never kill them. They are chosen by God. When it's time, children of Yah, when it's time to assemble the sons of God, assemble we must. When it's time to defend the weak and rescue those who face death, then defend and rescue we must. We await on the Lord's orders. He is the general and the supreme commander of his army. You never see an army move without the general's ordinance. They would be court-martialed and criminally charged. No protections guaranteed for them. And when we do something without the ordinance of God, we're just asking for trouble. Like I said in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Do everything you can, children of Yah, to stay under the Lord's thumb. You know, we are a brotherhood. We're a brotherhood, a priesthood, and a chosen generation. And we protect each other and die for each other. This is what we are called to do. John chapter 15, 12 through 13. I've been saying this the whole episode. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And a lot of us are watching the world fall apart and living in fear. So much fear that it paralyzes our walk sometimes. While we have brethren dying in the Far East, just for proclaiming Jesus. And we think that the persecution will never come to America. I mentioned this before, but I feel like I got to reiterate. We feel like that that persecution will never come. That's why we downplay witchcraft so much. That's why we downplay idolatry so much. That's why we downplay having a murderous spirit, having a spirit of fornication. We downplay all these things because we think People have been telling me this for the past two, three weeks. Your religion is a myth. Your religion is fantasy. No, it's a myth and fantasy to you because God is ignoring you. Because you cut yourself off from the Most High, He will never bless you. That's why you keep saying He doesn't exist, because you won't keep His commandments. You won't keep His commandments. You won't serve him. You won't listen to whatever he says. And so you think he doesn't exist. And that's why you're broken. That's why you're broken. I know the truth about these people. These people tell me all the time, oh, you're a bigot. No. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. I'm not a bigot for what I believe, and what I believe is the truth. This is truth. This is truth. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. This is what the Bible says. There are some Christians out there, they believe in God, but when another brother or sister corrects them in their walk, 
They rebuked them. Why would you accept the Lord's guidance, but you fear another brother or sister's correction? Someone who's trying to help you edify your walk into the Lord. And children of y'all, like I said, we begin, we, 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 we always think that we'll never pay the price. America will never dissolve into chaos. Personally, how could you see everything you've seen for two years and not think that America is dissolving into chaos. And children of Yah, we have been given, this is, this is a vision that the Lord gave to me. We've been given two years to prepare before that day comes when we too will be hunted for our faith. John chapter 15, I'm gonna read a few verses, 15 and 18 through 21. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says, for a servant does not know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jumping forward from verse 15 to verse 18. If the world hates you, Jesus says, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Don't be surprised, children of Yah, when almost everywhere you go, people give you a hard time. It's because you belong to the Lord. The Lord says, don't be surprised by this because you follow after me. I have a number of friends who go through some of the craziest circumstances with their families. Like some, some of you have family members that want to kill you, literally kill you. I'm not surprised by this because the devil hates you so much. He hates it when you walk in your priesthood, but the devil has no choice but to bow down and honor it. The devil has no choice but to flee you because you walk in your dominion. But Jesus says, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they do, they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus says, don't be surprised when you face this. Because you belong to me and the world hates me hates me and honestly i really don't understand why like why would you go through life without the protection of the lord i don't really believe that the lord is going to protect me how do you have the things that you have so you just take everything for granted you took the fact that you woke up with fresh air in your lungs for granted when you walked outside you took for granted that no one hit you no one ran their car into you. You took for granted that you had a way to eat. You had a way to drink. You had a way to speak. You had a way to move. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. How could you hate? How could you, how could you hate someone that wants nothing but to love you? Some of you have some of the craziest situations with your families. 
but you refuse to know God. All God wants to do is love you, but you reject him. And I don't understand. Actually, no, I take that back. I do understand because I think that these unbelievers, they know that with the acceptance comes the atonement. They know that there's a part of them that they have to expose themselves in order to be righteous and holy with the Lord. So I do understand, even if they don't, but that's the truth. But children of Yah, a day is coming when, you know, some of the most wicked things, you're going to see families betray each other. Jesus tells us this in Mark chapter 13. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I've been saying it. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, children of Yah. Now, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Children of Yah, remember, it was all this buzz in the news about critical race theory. They're teaching children to hate their parents in the schools. Why do you think children are so rebellious? The younger generation is the hardest generation to reach because the devil has programmed them so well. You know, I pray for the children, man. I plead the blood of Jesus over these children's minds. They're some of the hardest to reach. All they want to do is smoke and party. They want to drink with both hands. They want to they wanna have sex with everything and anything that moves. It's crazy. Then they don't listen. Everything, it's a microwave society to them. It's all about how they can feel better. As some of them, they know that they're broken and they stupidly continue to do the same thing that leads them down to a darker area. I'm not calling them stupid, but these people, children of Yah, they don't know any better. They don't know any better. We have to be very, very good of becoming testimonies of change. We have to get very, very good at showing them a life that they've always wanted, but never understood how to get. But we're all going to go through these things, children of Yah. Revelation 2.10 says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer, Jesus says. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have uh, tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. 
The goal is to make it to that crown, children of Yah. But be warned, all these things are coming. They are coming. And I don't say this to scare you. I say this to empower you because you underestimate what the Holy Spirit could do to your heart. You underestimate how the Holy Spirit can mold you into a bold, courageous, lion, warrior, fighter. You underestimate it. There's so much power. There's a reason why David was able to walk through the valley and not run through it. All right, let me just make it as quick as possible to the other side and maybe nothing to hurt me. No, David walked. Imagine when you was a kid and you were afraid of the dark. Rather than run to the other side of the house into your room, you walked to the other side of the house and feared nothing. When you heard weird noises and you heard screams and all this type of stuff, imagine if it didn't scare you. Imagine rather than running from that monster in the closet, you walked toward it because you feared no evil. And then you started pleading the blood of Jesus in the four walls of your home. And that monster fled you, a young boy, a young girl who walked in their priesthood at age five, at age 10, at age three. Children, all this is possible. If, if Josiah can lead a whole entire nation at the age of eight, imagine what the Holy Spirit can do for you at where you are in life right now. But all of this is biblical. The devil will pursue us. More than the average attacks with the minds that he that he typically does more with the temptation the temptation he tries to throw your way the devil will pursue us revelation 13 7 to 10 it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe tongue and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. We're a chosen generation. We're an end time church. And we, children of Yah, are called to fear no evil, for God is with us. And not only to fear no evil, but to put on the armor of God and to know the truth and be made perfect in love. First John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Let's be made perfect in love, children of Yah. Let's be made perfect in love. Because that day is coming. When you're made perfect in love, you fear nothing. Imagine seeing destruction all around you and you fear nothing except the Lord. Children of Yah, when you get to that point, you as a child, a son of God, a daughter of God. And when I say son, I mean both son and daughter because everything a woman does, she models after a man. Because a woman comes from the man. But imagine seeing all these things and you fear nothing. Calmness. 
I was at, I was in a, um, I was at the gun store yesterday and a guy brought in his two pistols. And if any of you do not know about, you know, proper gun store etiquette, the one thing you never do is you never take your firearm out when you're at the store because the people behind the counters, they don't know if the firearm is loaded. They don't know what your intention is. For those of you who live in states with concealed carry, which is basically every single state in the country. But for those of you who are concealed carriers, you don't go into the store and say, hey, I saw something on my gun, and then you whip your gun out and you show the guy. That's going to make a lot of people mad. They have no idea what your intention is. They don't know if you're trying to rob the store. They don't know if your gun is loaded. And so that makes a lot of people angry. So I was at the store yesterday. Guy whips out his gun. He muzzles two of the associates. If you don't know what muzzle means, he basically points the gun at two of the associates behind the counter and me. And the guys behind the counter, they were so, they were heated. They were so angry. And the owner kicked him out of the store. Because he was careless. But children of Yah, while they were rattled and they were scared, I wasn't. I felt no fear. Because number one, I knew I wasn't going to get shot. But number two, I know the assignment on my life that the Lord has bestowed upon me. I know the assignment on my life. A lot of biblical prophecy is being fulfilled. A lot of biblical prophecy is being fulfilled, and God is preparing his people for war, preparing his people for the Armageddon to come, preparing his people for the spiritual warfares within their minds. Don't just run from the enemy. Don't stop saying, I'm a worthy. Yes, we're all sinners saved by grace. Stop saying you're unworthy because the more. You say it, the less you walk in your dominion, the less you walk in your priesthood. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're bigger than God. I'm saying stop saying I don't deserve anything because then you're always going to be in a point of despair you're never going to see the blessings of God in your life if you continue to not believe. The Bible says, ask, believing that you have received, and it will be given to you. But a lot of us, we don't believe that we've already received the power, the power to overcome. We just constantly say in church, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Know your priesthood, children of Yah. Don't take the I'm not worthy too far. Yes, the grace of God covers all of us in our mistakes. His strength is made perfect in weakness. But don't take that so far that you never grow. First, Thess- First 
Thessalonians chapter five, verses one through three. For, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. But when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. And the spirit of the Lord is telling me, you know, with all these different changes of, you know, a lot of justice is being served in the country with the Supreme Court and whatnot. The spirit just told me, and I'm going to share this with each and every one of you. Be vigilant, be watchful, watch your back. The enemy is trying to deceive us by having us let our guards down, that nothing will happen, all is good in the hood, and then bam, we get hit with the death and all this other stuff. Be vigilant, be watchful for yourselves. And so in closing, let's prepare ourselves for the physical Armageddon that is to come, children of Yah. Always be on your toes. Always watch your corner and always allow the Lord to lead you in your walk to safety. Let's endure this time to the very end. There's so much power in it. There's so much love, so much joy, so much peace. The Bible says, count it not strange when you go through the fiery trial. And count it as joy when you fall through various trials. For the testing of your faith produces patience that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it as joy and count it not strange, children of Yah. Let's endure it to the very end. Guys, I love you. Go so in Jesus' name. Go grow in Jesus' name. I appreciate you listening to this live. For those of you who want to contact me, you can contact me at reavivise at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Rise Podcast. My name is Shaquan Woody. Guys, let's get serious. Let's get serious. Let's strengthen ourselves. I love you all. God bless you all. And... Have a good night. Thank you.